Amen, amen. Have a seat. If you have a Bible, get to uh, Luke chapter 1. That's where we're going to be this morning, Luke chapter 1. Thank you so much for joining us uh, here live. And uh, if you're joining us on the live stream, I want to extend a special welcome to you. And I know it is weird, Bayou City Tomball, to address a camera to people that are not in the room. But for their sake, we're going to say hello. So uh, everyone together, we're just going to give a give a round of applause. Thanks for joining us online. Give a hand of applause. Give a round of applause. Thank you. Um, I know that's awkward. Thank you for participating. Um, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Uh, my name is Kevin Bear. I'm the lead pastor here at Bayou City Tomball. Uh, so glad to be with you this morning. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 1, says this. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me, also having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, while his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. And fear fell upon him. And the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Jump to verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And Lord, thank you so much for this holiday season. Um, I don't know for many of us, this holiday season hasn't been what we had hoped, Lord. Um, and so, Lord, I pray that as we open up your word, you would open up our hearts and minds to trust in you. And although we don't always understand why you are working the things in the world the way that you are, we can have hope in you, Jesus Christ. And Lord, you have made our Christmas a little complicated this year in 2020. Amen? But Lord, we know that you are good, you are still reigning, and you are still accomplishing your purposes in this place. So Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to see you clearly and come to you in this season. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, Christmas season is a season of preparation. Uh, and even in this season, it's a season of preparation. It hasn't, we haven't been doing a lot of shopping in this preparing for Christmas season. We've been doing a lot of online uh, browsing, probably. And so we've been Amazoning uh, for our Christmas. And so for, for you men that haven't done your Christmas shopping yet, unfortunately, uh, you will, your gifts will not get there in time. Uh, when you order them on Amazon, but you can put that, uh, that order slip in a little envelope and give it to your loved ones, and they'll appreciate the gift that comes in January uh, from you. 
Uh, Christmas, though, is a season of preparation. It's a season of preparing for all the gifts exchanging and the the different things that are happening. But let's just be honest. 2020 has been weird, right? 2020 has been very odd. In fact, if, if you were to think back at the beginning of the year when the ball dropped and the new year began, 2020, all of your hopes, dreams, aspirations, what you wanted to see happen, what were, your, what were you thinking it would be? It probably looked nothing like what we have experienced. In fact, uh, uh, several um, late night comedy shows and, and, and comedians have been kind of lamenting this reality. And, and, if, and honestly, if you, don't, uh, if you don't cry, at least you can laugh. And if you don't laugh, you'll probably just be crying. And so uh, what happened a couple months ago um, is the CMA Music Awards were canceled. The Country Music Awards were canceled because several of the, or uh, postponed, several people couldn't make um, presentations during the CMAs because they had come down with COVID. And so uh, Jimmy Kimmel um, developed a, a comedy based on the reality that, that what we're all feeling in this pandemic. And so they rewrote Christmas songs as if they were written during 2020 climate and COVID. And so some of those titles of Christmas songs are here for you. Um, the title of the album that you can buy is called A Very COVID Christmas. First song is called Disinfect the Halls. Uh, disinfect the halls with sanitizer, fa la 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 la, until we get a cure from Pfizer, fa la 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 la. That's going to be a family favorite. Um, another one was uh, O Clorox wipes, O Clorox wipes, O Clorox wipes, my groceries disinfected, my Clorox wipes, O Clorox wipes, my vegetables all taste like bleach. Um, OCDC, um, OCDC, OCDC, um, your website is depressing. Uh, Coughing around the Christmas tree, um, I saw mommy testing Santa Claus. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer lost his sense of smell and taste. Uh, Vaccine Navidad. Uh, Grandma got corona by a reindeer. Uh, So these are some of the family favorites of of 2020. And and as I read those lists of songs, as I saw that uh, little clip, I was was laughing because it is just so representative of of the challenges that we have all faced in 2020. It's just been a really weird year. But fortunately, Christmas is coming. And God has always entered into history in times of complexity. The first Christmas was no easier than our Christmas. The first Christmas was equally complicated. There was lots of issues going on when Jesus entered in the world. There's always been a a desire for something different than the reality that life has laid itself in. And there's the truth is this, Jesus is always needed to enter in to the complexities of our day and age. And this Christmas is no different. We still need Jesus. Rudolph W. Stockman says this, the hinge of history is on the door of a Bethlehem stable. See, Jesus came into earth and he split time. He's the very hinge of history. J.I. Packer says this, the Christmas message is that there is hope for a ruined humanity, hope of pardon, hope of peace with God, hope of glory, because at the Father's will, Jesus became poor and was born in a stable so that 30 years later, he might hang on a cross. And as we prepare for this Christmas season, just know this, Christmas has always come at a complicated time. And when Jesus entered into human history, it was because the world needed saving. The world needed a savior. 
And if 2020 tells us anything, it tells us this reality. The world still needs a Savior. Amen? And as we look at this text in particular, there's three things from the text I want to pull out for us. And the the first is this, is that the arrival of Christmas, the arrival of Jesus, first confronts the mind. Secondly, it challenges the heart. And thirdly, if you let it, it'll change your life. The first thing we see in this text is this, that the arrival of Jesus confronts the mind. At the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, it's written by Luke, uh, who, who wasn't, uh, he didn't directly know Jesus, but, but he was a follower of the close associates of Jesus. And so he, he traveled with Paul. He's often called Luke the physician, likely because he was uh, keeping Paul's beat up body alive at the tail end of his life. But you see that, that this man is educated. He is deeply educated. And the beginning of this Gospel is written to a, a person. It says it's written to you, most excellent Theophilus, verse 3. And, and that's fascinating. Commentators have, have debated, what does it mean, most excellent Theophilus? What is, wh- who is this gospel written to? And, m- and many commentators believe that he was a wealthy official that was funding the writing of this gospel. And so Luke, who has traveled with the early followers of Jesus, he has known them. He is, he is compiling this gospel, and it's fascinating how he writes it. He doesn't write it as fantasy fiction. He doesn't say in a galaxy far, far away some things happened. He he frames it in a completely different context. He frames it as history. He frames it as events that really happened. Um, One uh, commentator writes it this way. uh, The genre of the Gospel of Luke belongs squarely within the literary tradition of ancient historiography. He says, if you're reading this Gospel honestly, It's not written as fantasy fiction. It's written in reality. And look at the way he positions it. He says, Theophilus, I'm writing you this document about the things that you have heard. And and I'm doing it this way. I'm bringing eyewitnesses. He's like, I'm traveling to those eyewitnesses that saw these events happening. And I'm I'm arranging their, their insights. I'm arranging what they saw. He looks at eyewitnesses and he says, he's putting together an orderly account. He's saying, I'm taking all the information of these people that saw Jesus live and die and the things that he did along the journey, and I'm arranging them purposely, and I'm arranging them to make a point. I'm arranging them so that you would know with certainty that these events actually happened. And he uses names all throughout the gospel. He uses uh, famous uh, people in the, in the Roman world. He uses um, Herod and Pilate. And what's fascinating as you research those figures, as the Bible has been written, it hasn't been proven to be more wrong. It's been proven to be more right. In fact, as archaeological digs go and research these people in these events, what they find is that they more and more are tethered to history rather than fantasy. These are more verifiable. So, for example, um, they weren't sure if Pilate actually uh, lived and and did what the things that the Bible said. But as they studied further, they have found um, inscriptions to Pontius Pilate and ancient artifacts that demonstrate, no, this, the Bible is tethered to history. And so the Bible, Luke in particular, is making himself vulnerable. He's saying, 
you can verify whether or not these events actually happened. It can challenge your mind in that you can see if these events really happened. The Bible makes itself vulnerable by tethering it to verifiable historical events. And that's what Luke says. He says, I'm going to present this evidence to you for you to consider. And it's evidence that's, that's going to challenge your mind. It's evidence that's going to make you actually determine, do I believe that these events are actually real? C.S. Lewis um, wrote, a, uh, wrote on biblical criticism. Now, C.S. Lewis was an Oxford professor. Um, he wrote uh, on medieval literature. And he writes this of the text of the Bible. He says, I've been reading poems, romances, vision literature, legends, myths all of my life. He was a medieval professor. I know what they are like. I know that not one of them is like this. Of this text, there are only two possible views. Either this is reportage. So it says there's two views on what I, when I look at the scripture, there's two views. Either it's reportage, meaning um, it, it's, like, it's like history. It's a news report. Or there's another option. Either it's reportage or else some unknown writer in the second century without known predecessors or successors suddenly anticipated the whole technique of modern novelistic realistic narrative. If it is untrue, it must be narrative of that kind. The reader who doesn't see this has simply not learned to read. Now he's a little condescending there at the end, but here's what he's saying. He's like, when you read literature, particularly ancient literature, there's two categories. There's mythology and there's history, and they don't mix. The way we have modern literature is that we write realistic uh, fiction. So you can read Harry Potter and it feels like you're in the story, or you can read um, a novel and they're written in a way that you can see yourself as a character, but that's a modern rendition of literature. Ancient literature didn't function that way. You had mythology and you had history. The two never mixed. And C.S. Lewis is saying this, I've read mythology all of my life, and none of them are like the text of the Bible. And either this is reporting actual events, or some unknown author in the second century came up with a new writing style that wasn't seen again for several centuries later. He's like, and if you're not reading it that way, you haven't learned to read. He's saying this history, this story is real events that took place. It challenges your mind because the Christmas story isn't just warm fuzzies. It's verifiable events. And the story calls you to look at the reality of Jesus coming into the world and say, what do I do with that information? It challenges our mind because the stories are real. One of my favorite movies growing up uh, was the movie Hook as a little kid. And uh, it, it's the story of Peter Pan growing up. And so Robin Williams plays Hook in that story, or play, sorry, plays Peter Pan in that story. And, and so it's an interesting storyline because it, it kind of traces the line of what would have happened if Peter Pan from Neverland actually grew up. And so they kind of trace it along. And so he comes back uh, in a trip from Netherland, he, Neverland. He visits uh, Granny Wendy and, and she had grown older, but she had a granddaughter. And Peter Pan falls in love with the granddaughter in this little story. And so he then travels to, or they move to the United States. They start a new life. And, and he begins living a normal life, chasing kind of the world of business and that sort of thing. And he becomes kind of engulfed in that world and that new reality. So much so that he forgets everything about his past. 
And so he comes and visits uh, Granny Wendy like one Christmas, and they, they kind of have this moment, and, and through a series of events, um, his kids, Peter Pan's kids, get taken away by Captain Hook. And, and Peter can't even like wrap his mind around this. He doesn't even understand what's going on. And, and so he sits down in a moment with Granny Wendy. He's like, what is happening? This is just weird. This, this isn't reality that I'm walking in. And Granny sits him down and she starts opening up a book. And she flips page after page and, and flips to a moment where there's a picture of Peter Pan. She goes, Peter, the stories are real. You think it's fantasy, but this book is pointing to reality. And that moment, his entire life had to shift as he reorients himself to the fact that he, the world is not what he seemed. And the Bible is written in a way to engage us in that way. To say, you may think it's just fantasy, but no, it's pointing to reality. God entered into human history, and you can know with certainty these events played out in this way. The first step in preparing for the arrival of Jesus this Christmas is to prepare your mind. Jesus really did live on this earth. But there's a second challenge that we see in here, and it's a challenge to our heart. Do you want to be a part of God's story? Do you want to be a part of the story that God is bringing. Because if you do, if you take the, the intellectual step, yes, I believe that God is real. Yes, I believe that he's doing something in the world. And yes, I believe in my heart I want to be part of the story. That's when life's going to get challenging. And that's what got challenging for, in particular, Zacharias. Zacharias was a priest. He was a normal guy working a normal job. He was born in the line of priests, and it says that he was married to a woman. He was married to Elizabeth. And they were older in years, and, and they, they had not been able to have children. She was, she was barren. That was the word that they would use to describe that situation. And so she was unable to have children. And so he was a normal guy on a normal Tuesday working his normal job. It, lot was cast to him, and so he walked into the temple to offer a sacrifice to God. And at that moment, everything changed. When he walks in to do his normal job, his normal Tuesday in the working force, all of a sudden everything changed as he encountered an angel. But here's what happens in life. When you have lots of unmet expectations, we can often grow dull in our expectations. When we go through the daily grind of life, what can happen is that our hopes can grow dull. And in those moments, God has to shock us awake. And so that's what happens in the gospel of Luke. Zechariah is shocked awake. He walks in and now while he was there, verse 8, serving as a priest before God, when his uh, duties came up, he went to light incense there in verse 11. There appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled and fear came over him. That's common. Every time an angel appeared in front of a person, they don't say, oh, that's nice. They get terrified. And so the angel says, relax, do not be afraid. Your, prayer, your prayers have been answered. Now, there isn't a prayer recorded in this part of the text. But it says your prayers have been heard. God has been listening to you. So we don't know how long Zechariah and Elizabeth have been praying, but they have been praying for a child. 
God, would you intervene in our life? God, would you do something? Would you bless us with a child? Will you bless our marriage with a baby? And, and can you imagine how many decades went by when that prayer was unanswered and then all of a sudden an angel appears and says, we have heard your prayers have not been dying at the ceiling. They've gone straight to God and he is intervening in this moment. God hears your prayers. What do you think about 2020? What have your prayers been over 2020? Now, when they started at the beginning of the year, they probably had a certain flavor, maybe hopeful expectation, maybe something you were excited about for this year of 2020. But then they probably shifted around March, probably shifted again around July, probably shifted again in August. Some of the prayers you may have pray, prayed are, are this, maybe a cure for COVID, maybe economic recovery, Maybe social peace, maybe political peace. What have your prayers looked like over this past season? What have you been longing for? And for some of us, it, it is, we have largely felt that our prayers have gone unheard. But that's just not true. Gabriel goes into the presence of Zechariah from God and says, your prayers have been heard. I am calling you to jump into an adventure. I'm calling you to jump into an adventure of what God is doing. We have heard your prayers and I'm about to answer them. But here's what's fascinating about this moment. He sees an angel in his presence, an angel that says, you have been heard and you're going to have a baby. Here's Zechariah's response. Verse 18. How shall I know this? For I'm an old man. And my wife is advanced in years. He says, how can I know? That word know means just knowledge, experiential knowledge of, of a subject or understanding. How, how do I actually know what you're saying is true? Now just put yourself in his perspective. You've walked alone into the Holy of Holies, the temple, to offer incense. And an angel appears to you telling you, you are going to have a baby. And his first question is, how do I know? I don't know. I've, and I've seen some glowing figures before. I don't know. How do I know this is legit? And the truth is this. Uh, it takes a little bit of time for intellectual truths to drop down into our heart. Um, educators study how education happens. How do we transition it from uh, head knowledge to something deeper? And there's lots of theories about this. There's uh, behavioralism, which means basically you learn through uh, changing behaviors in someone. That could be through positive and negative reinforcement. It could be cognitism. That means that if we just put the right information, the right thinking, the right problem solving, that will change your behavior. You'll learn better. Or it's constructivism. That's where the learner uses past experiences and cultural factors to of the current situation to have a different interpretation of events. There's experiential learning where you go and go hands-on and experience something different. What's funny to me is that uh, Gabriel doesn't do any of those things. Um, he doesn't try to rationalize with Zacharias at this moment. His response is much more harsh. Look what he does. He says, he answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you to bring you this good news. Isn't that fascinating? 
And I want you to think about how Gabriel delivered this line. He didn't say, I'm Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God, and I've come to bring you good news. Sometimes we read the Bible, we think it's written that way, but I think Gabriel was much harsher. I think he was saying, Zechariah goes, how can I know? How can I know this is true? I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I mean, just think about that for a moment. He says, I don't understand your doubts. How can you doubt? I have heard the voice of God, and I'm bringing that news to you. I am representing God. But oftentimes, our hearts can become so dull and so hard of hearing that even when the miraculous is in front of our face, we still can't believe it. And the angel says, here's going to be your miracle. How can you know you're going to be mute for the next nine months? So I'm so glad that God doesn't deal with me as I deserve, okay? Let me just say, I'm so glad God does not deal with me as I deserve. Can you imagine if you had doubts about God and you, and you voiced those doubts and you received immediate interaction of God with, from God? Like if you had a doubt like, God, I'm just not sure if you're real. Oh, you don't think so? Okay, mute for the next nine months. I mean, some of us would be mute. Others of, the, others of us would be pregnant, right? Because that's, that's the next thing that's going to happen. Because Gabriel's going to make another journey, and he's going to go visit Mary. And he says to her, visits her in the sixth month, uh, Luke 1, he comes to her, an angel came to her, verse 30, and says, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God, and behold, you shall conceive, and in your womb will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. In verse 34, Mary says to the angel, how can I know this will be, since I'm a virgin? They both have questions. God intervening in their midst. How can I know this is true? God, how can I know this is real? See, oftentimes God will take intellectual knowledge and he'll drive it deep into your heart. And the way he often drives it deep into your heart is by making us go through the challenges of life. We are invited into his story. And that story can hit us in the face. In fact, the great theologian Mike Tyson and boxer said this, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. (laughs) And sometimes God allows complex, challenging, world-altering circumstances so he can shock us awake. Sometimes God allows the most dramatic world-shaking events in history so that we can be shocked awake to know that he's real. C.S. Lewis says that it's God's megaphone. God uses a large megaphone, and when you're God, you can use whatever you want to accomplish your work. And so God says, I want this information to go to transformation. I want the the ideas about who I am and what I'm doing in the world to become a reality within your heart. And he says to Zechariah and Mary, he says, this is real and it's intersected with your life. I want you to be a part of my great story. I want you to be a part of doing something great in the world, but you've got to have more than information. You've got to have transformation. 
You need more than the right ideas. You need a transformed heart so you can engage with what I want to do in the world. I'm going to make this information sink deep. And the way that he does it is to make a man mute and to make a girl pregnant. And so you're going to be part of the greatest story ever told. You're going to be part of salvation that comes to the world. See, when you have an intersection with God, it's complicated and it changes everything. When you really interact with God, it changes and complicates your life. And these two people, Zacharias and Mary, had a, had a moment of decision. How am I going to respond to God in this moment? In the Gospel of Luke, the two of them write beautiful poetry, beautiful songs. Part of the song of Mary, she says this in verse 46, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has looked down on the humble estate of his servant for behold, from now on all generations will, be, will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me in his holy name. What's Mary's response? I'm in I'm in. And let me just tell you, as a teenage girl in the first century, becoming pregnant without a husband, your life just got complicated. Because for the next nine months, as that baby grows, she's going to have to have awkward conversation after awkward conversation about how this baby got there. Oh, the Holy Spirit came upon you? Right. But she says, if God's doing something great... It is worth my life. Zechariah says this when his son is born, and you, child, verse 76, will be called prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercies of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. Zechariah says, if you are giving me a son, I want to be part of raising that son. If you're giving me a child, I'm going to help do everything I can so that he will do the things you're talking about. And he will be one that prepares the way of the Lord to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide their feet in the way of peace. He says, I will be a part of raising this boy. But whenever God interacts in your life, it will complicate your life. Because God isn't looking to merely enhance a part of your life. He's looking to change our lives so that we follow him. And it won't always be easy. It will get complicated at times. Charles Haddon Spurgeon great preacher in the 1800s, and, and there came a moment when, when people, more and more people were coming, so they're able to build a larger building, and he's preaching in that building and, and excited about that first Sunday that they're going to have there, and they had over 10,000 people gathered in that service, and someone yelled out, fire. And as soon as someone yelled out the word fire, everyone ran for the doors, trampling many people. Seven died, 28 were seriously injured, and Charles Haddon Spurgeon sunk into depression. 
He says this, I refuse to be comforted. Tears were my meat by day and dreams my terror by night. I felt as I've I've never felt before. My thoughts were all a case of knives, cutting my heart to pieces, broken pieces all asunder. He became so depressed. And after a couple weeks, he finally kind of recovered and began again. And he wrote this at the end of his life. He said, one of his final sermons, he declared that Christ is always to be found in the thickest part of the battle. When the wind blows cold, he always takes the bleak side of the hill. He said, if you follow Christ, it will make your life complicated, but it's worth it. Zechariah prophesies that a child will come to give light to those who sit in darkness. See, the night is always darkest just before the light comes. Tomorrow is called the winter solstice. It is the the longest night that we'll have in a year. It comes tomorrow. And against a black sky, it's always the points of light that shine through. You also may know that there's an astrological event happening over the next couple days. Um, Two planets will be the closest they've ever been. Uh, Jupiter and Saturn are going to come together, and uh, it's been the first time since the 17th century that they've come that close together, and it will make one of the brightest luminaries in the sky. Some people call it the Christmas star. They're kind of debating that right now. What's, What's interesting is I've been reading secular articles talking about this astrological event. They, they're all saying similar things. They're like, is this a sign of hope? Like, is, does this mean that, that, that all of these challenges have, have some sort of ray of, of light and hope? And it's, it's been fascinating reading these secular people looking at the night sky that's coming going, maybe that is a light of hope in the darkness that we've been experiencing. Jesus is called the bright morning star. And Jesus' arrival on earth was announced by a star. See, God has arranged all of human history to circle around one person, the person of Jesus Christ. And the reality is just the arrival of Jesus Christ challenges our mind. It confronts our heart. And it will change your life. But you have to come to the moment when you say, okay, Lord, I don't understand why the darkness, but I will look to the light. The light, Jesus Christ, who has come to bring hope to a hurting world. And his coming will change everything. It has changed everything. We split our days based on the life this man lived. Frederick Buchner says it this way, it is impossible to conceive how different things would have turned out if that birth had not happened whenever, wherever, however it did. For millions of people who have lived since the birth of Jesus have been made possible not just a new way of understanding life, but a new way of living it. It is a truth that for centuries there have been untold numbers of men and women 
who in untold number of ways have so, been so grasped by the child who was born, so caught up in the message that he taught and the life that he lived, that they have found themselves profoundly changed by the relationship with him. I want to give you three statements to think about as we prepare for this Christmas season. The first is this, to prepare your mind. There is good reason to believe and trust in Jesus and the historical reality of his coming. Number two, prepare your heart. God has not promised to give us comfort, but to give us life to the full. He has promised to give us a full experience of life, to be part of his story, to be part of the action of what it means to be the people of God. Thirdly, to open your life, to receive God's plan for you in this season, and to join in his work in this place. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, in the gospel, I find satisfaction to my mind that I find nowhere else. There is no problem of my life that the gospel does not deal with and answer. I find intellectual rest and answers to all of my questions, and thank God my heart and my desires are also satisfied. I find complete satisfaction in Christ. There's no desire, there's nothing in my heart my heart can crave for, but he can satisfy. All the restless desires are quelled by him as he breathes his peace into my troubled problems and restlessness. So I'm given rest in spite of all of my circumstances. This Christmas season, Jesus is our hope as he has always been, as he'll always be. We pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And Jesus, thank you that you have entered into human history into complicated circumstances. And it's not because you were trying to hurt the world, it's because the world needed saving. The world needed a rescuer, and you are that rescuer. The world needed redemption, and you are that redemption. The world needed healing, and you are that healing. The world needed light in the midst of darkness, and you are the bright morning star. You are the light that our world needs. And so, Lord, in all the complexities of this Christmas season, I pray that you would shine brighter. And all the darkness our world is facing, Jesus, I pray that you will shine the brightest. And Lord, I pray that you would bring us and many, many more people to you in this Christmas season. You are our only hope. You have always been our only hope. It's in your name we pray. Amen.